Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Here we are again, Andrew. Yes, we are coming up to Christmas and uh, another controversial one. I suspect we're going to get a lot of reaction to this one. Yes, we are. Um, actually, I think before we launch into the subject of this um episode we should just catch up a little bit on yep. another amazing royal week just because we followed these stories now quite carefully and uh harry's had a big win in court yes he has i mean i think there's another side to the story and uh, i mean bylines have been running a series of pieces about how uh someone from the the, the wales's office um who's the partner of their private secretary has been leaking material to us or was leaking material to the sun so um there seems to be a lot of leaking going on on all sides, but it seems to me that Harry maybe has a stronger case than the press have allowed him. Well, I mean, the story um, of the, his victory in court this week was really about historical um, stories, wasn't it? And, and allegations of phone hacking, or well, not allegations, actual phone hacking and who knew about it and when. Yeah, yeah. And I think it'll be interesting. I mean, Piers Morgan has come out fighting, but surely his position now must be must be very difficult. It was really interesting seeing Piers Morgan make that very passionate statement. I mean, he tried to turn it into a great attack on Harry for wanting to destroy the monarchy and um, tear down his grandparents' legacy, and etc., etc. But what, what he said was, he said, I've never ordered the hacking of a phone, and I've never hacked a phone. That's not actually what the judge said. The judge said he had knowledge yes. that yeah. hacking was going on, which he also denies, to be fair to him. But I remember, I mean, this was, we're talking now, what, 20 years ago? And I was working in royal journalism at that time, doing my Diana book and series. And it was a very different age. The fact that phones of celebrities were being hacked was an open secret. And it ended up bringing down the news of the world, didn't it, that yeah. paper? Yes. Um, and, you know, journalists who did that kind of thing, they were, they were revered amongst the sort of pack 
and the word pack is appropriate. You know, people who used dirty tactics, who went through bins, who hacked phones, who, who found elderly relatives of celebrities and got them to spill the beans. These yep. people were lionized and paid lots of money. Yeah. Yes. No, it's a different world. Um, yeah. No, I agree. It is. It is. It's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, how far this will, what, what, how this will unravel, I think is, is, is a very interesting question. Uh, and whether this will change perceptions of Prince Harry. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, we have, in, in the way we record, uh, reported on the Harry and Meghan story, you know, we've tended, I think, by and large to go with Valentine Lowe. And I think his reporting about the bullying of the staff really does feel strong to me. Yes, that yes. That was a factor in all of this. Um, but there's clearly been so much more going on. And yes, he's had a big win. The New York Times, which I suspect is the paper he cares more about now than any British paper, reported it as a major victory for Harry. Um, Gosh. And yes. vindication of some of the things he said about dirty deals between um, leading figures in British society and the tabloid press. And and I, and I don't know. I, I, I felt inclined to believe that there's a kind of straw man argument here that they actually just fell out over fairly small things and they've tried to whip it up into a much bigger story about, you know, royal racism and so on. But, you know, who knows? It seems to be getting deeper and deeper and darker and darker. Yes. No, I think there's a lot more to come out. I mean, certainly my research on, on the Andrew and Fergie book shows that everyone, I mean, in the palace and, 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 and the York's household was leaking against everyone else. Um, I mean, it was Diana who actually revealed that Fergie was going to get divorced to take attention off her. So, I mean, and it's interesting when I've talked to the journalists, they've refused to reveal their sources even 30 years later. So you begin to wonder just how much of this is 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 managed news management by the palace or others, and that the, all the the press are doing is 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 just taking stuff from everyone and then they're putting it out there. Yes, and and um, Harry has always said that you know his enemies inside the royal family conspired with some of the worst tabloid hacks to kind of do him down, partly to advance the interests of other members of the family, by which he means Camilla, I think, largely. Maybe yes, also Kate, but and, and protecting the king. I mean, protecting the king and the monarchy. So I think that's absolutely right. I think they're seen as collateral damage. Uh, are, we, are, we, are we turning into a Republican podcast? <laughs> well, you know, know. We had Elson Anderson, who was the press secretary to the Queen, very much you know, earlier on saying, you know, our job is to support the, 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 the individuals, and the last thing we would do is leak. So, uh, you know, we will give them information that's helpful to them and keep them on side. So well, I don't think anybody's ever really sort of pointed the finger for this stuff to the Queen's own office when she yep. was alive. And I remember Patrick Jefferson, who was a veteran of the War of the Waleses, always felt that the Queen herself and her courtiers tried to stay above the fray yep. um, of that's the younger right. squabbling in-laws and siblings and descendants of the Queen. Yep. Gosh, what a tangled web. Um, and talking of tangled webs, do you want to introduce the subject of this programme? Well, I mean, we're, we're, we've been asked many times if we will look at the Madeleine McCain case. This is a, a young girl who was abducted on holiday in Portugal and disappeared, and no one has, has really discovered what's going on. I mean, there have been all sorts of wild theories about this, including that her parents were involved, and I think there are many people who believe that. We're going to talk to someone who's written a, a series of highly acclaimed books, Robin Swan, who's married to Anthony Summers, again, a highly respected investigative journalist. 
Uh, and um, uh, she's going to, to talk about a book that she wrote about McCann. And I think she's very much in the tradition of Gerald Posner, looking at things very independently and forensically. Uh, and um, I, I'm hoping that we will get, well, having read a book, uh, we will get a much more sort of serious account of, of, of the McCann disappearance and indeed possibly a, a, a possible culprit. But um, we are expecting to get a lot of flack because there are people who, whatever the evidence you produce, do not want to believe, have, have, have their own theories and want to believe those. Yeah, and Robert and Anthony, they've got an amazing pedigree. They've written incredibly award-winning and claimed books on some really big subjects, including 9-11. Um, and yeah, like, uh, like uh, Mr. Posner, they, they like to sort of look at conspiracy theories and pick at them. Um, yeah, we are going to lose some friends today because a lot of people really believe, and this started, you know, it started quite soon after the, after it was 2006, wasn't it? Um, there were blogs, there were message boards, it wasn't Twitter, but there was a lot of online speculation and lots of people focused on the parents. And I think that's partly because the parents admitted that they were at fault. I mean, they, as many people will know, they, they left her unsupervised. And for that, they received a lot of criticism, including from themselves. And they were you know, initially seen as suspects by by the police. The police made them suspects. They were dragged, you know, in front of cameras. They had sniffer dogs going around the apartment and, and supposedly found this famous awful scent of death. Um, I mean, the car. But then, and, and they were pilloried, and a lot of people really believe. And it gets very lurid because there's a, not a, not a very big gap between people who are obsessed with trying to prove that the parents disposed of murdered whatever maybe it was an accident or maybe it wasn't but a lot of people also believe there's some global networks of pedophiles and people are being traded and vips are involved and it gets very kind of strange yeah Um, it's good that we we have people like robin who are able to cut through this and just look at the the sheer facts Um, the big thing the really so really big change that happened about was it three or four years ago when they actually finally found a suspect this german guy Yes, and it'll be interesting to hear what she says about him because he seems clearly a very likely candidate um, from what we've seen. So this is, I mean, we're moving away from the royals, but I suppose we still seem to end up with paedophilia. So, <laughs> Well, we all started with Lord Mountbatten, so we exactly. probably set a tone from the word. There's a theme, theme here. So, well, um, I, I, mean, I, mean, I, I find this conspiracy stuff just endlessly fascinating because I think... You know, also, we all love to play amateur detectives. I remember at the time, and there have been other cases too, where having a bit of secret knowledge about a case that everybody's talking about is kind of thrilling, isn't it? You know, we can be yes. Miss Marples. Poirot. Yes, exactly. No, no, and I mean, you know, I, I can see why people want to, they feel a part of the inner circle and gives a sense of power. Um, but we have, you know, also social media now, which allows people to share information very, very easily. And so in some ways that breaks that sense of the inner sanctum. Uh, but it allows people to speculate in, 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 in some ways, in, in the most outrageous ways, really. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what, you know, what is the scandal here? Is it that potentially these, these parents have got away with some terrible crime? Or is it that actually there were so many potential sex offenders just wandering around holiday resorts at this time and people weren't even warned about it? Hotels weren't warned about it. I think that's something Robin will talk about. Yes, yes, no, no, and I, I'm hoping they're going to come back on, on other subjects. I remember Anthony Summers' book Father's Are um, and the disappearance of the Russian royal family is a very seminal book. Reading it as a teenager, and that's the case I know he's followed. 
Um, so I, I think this could be a bit of a corker, this one. Well, he has panorama background, as does your partner on this podcast. So we've got to believe him. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, should we go to Robin? Let's let's do that. Okay. Talk to you later. We're thrilled to have Robin Swan uh, with us today, who's written, I think, probably the the, the most um, forensic book on the McCann case. Uh, and you've got a long history of writing very well-regarded investigative books. I mean, what attracted you to this in the first place, the subject? It's it's rather sad, really. Um, the It was in one of the anniversaries of Madeline's disappearance, and we were sitting watching the evening news, and Kate and Jerry came on to sort of give a pitch for, you know, the continued need to search for Madeline. And, and and we're talking and, and Kate McCann was asked, you know, how long will you go on? And she said, you know, I'll, I'll go on forever. And we happen to have a little girl who's about four years older than Madeline, whose middle name is Madeline. And so her her childlike ears pricked up every time the story came on. And when it was over, she turned to me and she said, Mommy, if I were missing, how long would you look for me? And I, of course, naturally, as you would, I said, well, you know, I would look for you forever. Um, and she then, you know, she wandered off to bed and I sat there thinking, you know, how long is forever? You know, what, what is that like for a parent that, that hell of, um, your child being missing, knowing that people have blamed you, held you responsible, that, you feel, at least by your own act, you have played a part in the, the fact that she was able to be, you know, she came to be missing. Um, you know, what what does that feel like? And so I, I started reading the the files on, you know, everything I could about it. And we realized, I started talking to my, my husband and co-author, Tony Summers, uh, and we realized that aside from Kate McCann's own book, when we started writing back in 2000 and I don't know, 12, um, there hadn't been a big sort of independent book about this case for all the nonsense on the internet, for all the glaring headlines in the red tops. There wasn't a sort of forensic look at what happened, how it happened, what could have happened and the aftermath. And so that's what we, we set out to do. I mean, it might be useful just for some of the listeners who may not be fully aware of the story, just to go through the story. I mean, just quickly, what exactly happened? I mean, I think you described it as the biggest missing uh, person or child since since Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, so um, the McCanns were a fairly ordinary uh, young couple. They had, um, in 2007, they had three young toddlers. Madeline was the oldest. Um, they were both young doctors, um, had come up in fairly humble backgrounds, um, but gotten through medical school, were starting out on what seemed to be a very good life. Um, but it had taken many, many years to conceive Madeline. She had been conceived in the end through IVF, and she was a much beloved oldest little toddler of three, nearly four. And they had decided with some friends, a group of friends, that they had holidayed with before in various resorts um, in the med um, to take a a, pack, a sort of package holiday to a, a holiday resort in Portugal in a little town called Praia de Luz. And they went there in uh, early May of 2007. So it wasn't, you know, high summer or the resort was quiet. 
uh, this group of friends. There were, you know, there were several couples with a mixture of toddlers between them. And they took a set of apartments all adjacent to one another. And they began a process of basically having an intermingled family holiday that went on for the duration of the week. And one thing that they did um, that later they came in for criticism for is that they discovered that a little restaurant um, on the grounds of the hotel, sort of across from their apart their block of apartments, um, but across a pool, was open and allowing outdoor dining outside the the restaurant um, in the evening. So they would put their children to bed in their apartments, and they would walk the the hundred yards to this restaurant every evening had a block booking in place, have dinner together. Um, and during the evening, the parents would take it in turns to go back and, and look in on the children and make sure nobody was up, nobody was wandering, nobody was crying, etc. This worked fine for most of the week. And on the Thursday night of May the 3rd, um, when those uh, checks were done, that Jerry McCann walked into his apartment, um, the father of Madeline, about five minutes past nine, looked in, remember seeing her his little girl in her bed, his twin uh, younger children in their cots, um, you know, having one of those, you know, great dad moments, of, you know, aren't you the most beautiful things I've ever seen going back to the restaurant. And then the next time there was a check, it was supposed to be Kate's turn, but one of the other dads was going back anyway. So he said, no, I'll check. He checked, but he didn't actually walk into the room, didn't walk in. So he never saw the children, whether the children were in their beds at that time. That was about 25 past nine, maybe half past. Um, but then at 10 o'clock that night, when um, Kate McCann went back, um, she immediately discovered that that uh, uh, Madeline was not in her bed and raised the alarm. And, and Madeline has never been seen since. Gosh. And the other two children, how old were they? I mean, would they possibly have, have, have made an, any noise if, if there'd been some disturbance there? They were 18 months old. Okay. Um, so not really a youthful age for anything. But the other um, oddity about that night is that the two toddlers seemed to sleep through everything. They stayed asleep even through the hullabaloo that followed the discovery that their sister was missing. People coming and going, um, you know, the police, everything. They they just stayed asleep, and in a way that many people, including their parents, later thought was kind of unusual, and wondered, hmm, could they have been drugged? Um, I mean, this is one of the hypotheses that has swirled around for many years, whether perhaps Madeline was drugged and carried away, and that's how why there was no alarm raised that she didn't kick or scream that um, somehow she was drugged. Um, Gosh, so, no, they weren't, they weren't old enough to, to raise an alarm. Yeah. Can, I, I can I interrupt for a second? I'm sorry to yeah. take us to technical matters, but um, your camera is very juddery, and I'm wondering if it might be best to turn it off so that we just get a better quality of the sound, because that's also you quite turn bad. Like... I think it okay. might help. Uh, sorry to... Just, uh, turn, just turn me off. Okay, good. You turn can the camera off. Pre- just, we just carry on. We okay. may get a clearer yeah. connection. Can you hear us fine? Because I remember you saying it's not very good in Ireland where you are. Um, And I'm interested in how you investigated the the case. I mean, you you actually talked to the McCanns, didn't you? And you went through a lot of the transcripts that were of the interviews. 
we had an initial session with McCann's. Um, they, in the end, declined to cooperate with us, um, having, I think they had mixed feelings about anyone taking on the subject again. They'd, by the time we were looking at the case, there were a number of things that had transpired. They had themselves become suspects and been cleared. The uh, Metropolitan Police um, had begun looking at the case again, and they were concerned that anyone looking at the case again independently might do anything that would interfere with the police investigation. So we relied very heavily on um, reworking what had taken place by going through and having translated for ourselves the Portuguese police files from the original investigation and then talking to um, various police sources and others around the case um, uh, that had not been talked to before and tried to piece it together that way. Why why was it, do you think, that the Portuguese police so quickly made them official suspects, thus triggering a huge amount of speculation and a, a great deal of of, of on, online hatred and a, a criticism of the family, uh, which was, must have been horrible for them to, to see and hear. But what seemed to trigger it was, was the behaviour, not so much of themselves, but the Portuguese police. Yeah, Andrew, I, I'm, I hate to contradict my host. The problem is actually not that they did it so quickly, but that they did it so late. Okay. The the theory in a the theory in a case like this is that you you very the very first thing you do is eliminate the people closest to the closest to the victim. So Kate and Jerry McCann should have been eliminated as as suspects on day one. Um, and and they weren't. Um, and there are a number of things that were going on there, and the Portuguese police have come in for a lot of blame, which is a you know. Slightly unfair. They were, you know, this was a sleepy resort with an underfunded local police department not geared up to do a major missing child investigation. Uh, A a lot of small English or Irish communities would have had the same kind of policing errors that the Portuguese faced. Nevertheless, what actually transpired is that eight weeks or more was allowed to pass. Um, with all sorts of um, investigative dead ends before uh, the, the McCann, the, before the police began to look again at the McCanns. And what had happened in that time is on the very first night, um, the crime scene was not treated as a crime scene. Um, the forensics were badly muddied. Um, you know, you, we have picked photo evidence of the fingerprint expert coming to take fingerprints uh, while not wearing gloves herself. Um uh, search dogs came and went from the apartment, leaving hairs everywhere. People came and went from the apartment, leaving their own prints and, and uh, you know, flotsam and jetsam everywhere. Flotsam and jetsam, of course, being the technical term for the kind of forensic DNA evidence. Um, so th- there, there, there were, there were problems. Um, then there, um, uh, uh, an initial suspect, a, a neighbor of the of the Ocean Club, he had been implicated early on. That didn't seem to be going anywhere either. Um, so finally, by midsummer, the McCanns were becoming frustrated. The police were becoming frustrated. The 
International press was in an uproar, pointing fingers, showing, you know, pu- publishing photographs of the port- leader of the Portuguese investigation having long liquid lunches. Um, generally, there was there was just kind of, may- uh, you know, mayhem in that sense, investigatively. It just wasn't gelling. And I think one of the problems and- was no CCTV cameras in, in, in the complex, were there? No, there were not. There were not. And by the time they get around to um, trying to track down some of that stuff, it's all been scrubbed. You know, there there were there were just any number of errors made. Um, so by the, by late summer of two thousand and seven, um, one of the things the British had been offering all along: can we help? Can we help? Um, and one of the things the British had offered was the expertise of some um, advanced. Um, canine dog um, investigative techniques. One, a dog that could detect cadavers, and another dog trained to a very high level to detect minute traces of blood. And the Portuguese accepted this, and so the British dog handler and his team went out to Portugal and began a series of searches using the dogs. And lo and behold, the dogs alerted. And the dogs alerted in the McCann's former apartment. They alerted to some items in amongst the belongings from the McCann's, the apartment the McCann's were then staying in. And they alerted around the car that the McCann's were using at the time. A car that the McCann's had not rented until weeks after Madeline disappeared. This. To the minds of the Portuguese, this implied guilt on the part of the McCanns. And the reason for that is that the British had oversold the reliability of the dog alerts. The the very basics and what the dog handler himself said from the moment he arrived was, my alerts themselves are not evidence. They are only a tool to search where you might find evidence. If no evidence is found, then the dog alerts alone have no value. Um, but that caution got lost, got kind of got lost in translation for um, in more ways than one. Um, um, and in their desperation, the Portuguese really latched onto this and began really going after the McCanns. The whole tide of the investigation turned to focus on the McCanns, and the press interest turned to focus on the McCanns. And I think there was a very big online interest. It was before Twitter, but it was a bit like Twitter. It had that same sort of level of fanaticism and people taking sides on blogs and Facebook groups. It got thousands of people were spending half their days speculating about this stuff and a lot of it was very much kind of directed against the family and of course the fact that they'd left them alone in the room and oh and now they've this dog thing has happened they must be guilty so many people i remember so many people i knew then just started to assume they must have done it which again must have been really terrible for the family well also i think some of the testimony was inconsistent between the 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 the, the, the group uh, which I think you've addressed uh, and show that, you know, these are just sort of mistakes that one could easily make at being interviewed. But that sort of added to the conspiracy theories, didn't it? It did. I mean, you know, I think 
if if the three of us got together after this conversation, um, you know, one of us would say Robin was wearing a blue shirt and a such and such. And what and what was Andrew wearing? You know, uh, your memories. You know, what, is there a stack of books behind Andrew, or is it? You know, yeah. um, you know what what's actually going on here? Um, so, um, yeah, they were ordinary the ordinary kind of mistakes that um, that I think people would make in trying to put. Evan, you know, put together the best possible recollection of an event and they got distorted. I mean, right now, I can tell you that when your podcast goes out, even today, there is a diehard cohort of people who believe that the McCanns are guilty of murdering their daughter and that anyone who says otherwise is part of an international conspiracy. And there will be people sitting parsing what I say in this broadcast and measuring it against things I might have said yesterday or what appears in my book. And they will, you know, every comma, every miss, every time I stumble over a, a timing or a, you know, a name, they will use that as evidence that I'm lying, that I am myself part of an international pedophile ring. Um, you know, it's... Gosh. I mean, it's of all, I mean, false. you've done a lot of controversial books. I mean, is this the one that, in some ways, has has uh, brought on the the most adverse reaction from from I mean, trolling and things like that? Yes, I, I mean, when we did our nine eleven book, I did get some very nice, um, very nice um, emails. I'm um, telling you that someday I would burn in the fires of nine eleven truth, um, and <laughs> and you know, other nice things, um, and. Uh, I have also been implicated as a crisis actor in the Sandy Hook uh, massacre in Connecticut because I apparently bear a vague resemblance to one of the mothers, um, which is a great compliment to me, given that she's about 20 years younger than I am. Um, So, so. Yes, uh, uh, there are there are nutty people on every story. But this story. This story attracted to us you know the, the most concerted attempts um to to um undermine a, a legitimate you know um research effort on our part you know there was a concerted campaign to bury our book on on amazon um and and that's you know it's very easy to do you don't have to buy a book you don't have to have read the book um all you have to do is get somebody to write a review and then everyone has to pile on to that review and say it was helpful. And if you write a one star review and everyone piles on and says that was the most helpful review in according to Amazon's algorithm, you just go down and down and down until you never bob to the surface again. Um, and they could do that to war and peace tomorrow. And uh, it's it's just an unfortunate fact. And Amazon takes no action against against people for doing yeah. that no it's a, it's a real it's a real problem at the moment but i mean you've got i mean you've got some very very good reviews a lot of good reviews but also you had good reviews in in the mainstream media and i mean did you get any response from the mccanns to the books saying thank you for for for, for doing this i mean this is at last a bit of sense in the story no, we didn't have any interaction with McCann's. The, the he, then head of Operation Grange um, did tell us that, you know, was grateful and, and did respond positively to to the book and said, you know, it was a credible job and that it told the story as well as anyone could 
facts on the ground. We had a very positive response from the from the senior police officer who who was responsible for the the after action report um, about the McCann case and said again, you know, someday when the Madeline's sister and brother need to know what happened, here's what happened. And here's what happened, happened not only to their sister, but here's what happened to their family. Um, and, and, you know, that, that is important because part of the thing the book documents is the kind of social media, um, outrage, um, that does happen frequently now. Mm. Uh, you know, the McCanns were canceled before the term canceled existed. Yeah. Um, yeah. They were attacked. Continue with the story because the, the first edition came out in 2014 and then you updated, I think, in 2019 for the Netflix series, mm-hmm. uh, which you were principal participants, really. And you seem to be keeping the files open. I mean, will you do anything more, do you think? I, I'm currently involved in a in another production. Um, uh, Anthony are bo- and I are both involved in another production um, focusing on the current suspect in Germany. And he's a very, very um, intriguing suspect. Um, I think those of us who follow the case have been disappointed before. There are a shocking number of pedophiles hanging around the Algarve in 2007. It would really give you pause. I don't think that that has anything to do with the Algarve. I fear it has to do with the fact that while those of us who are not of that, well, those of us, and I think that is 99.9% of us. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think that that's a horrifying idea. There are more people with those kind of tendencies than we'd like to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. And they congregate in places that are warm and sunny where children are left unguarded because parents are, you know, put at put at ease by the surroundings. And so and so that's where they are. Gosh. Um, so what is your best guess then as to what happened that night, based on everything you've researched? Not not you don't have to name a name of a suspect, but what do you think an, an unnamed person or persons did? Oh, I really have avoided speculating on this case the whole time. First of all, I avoid speculating on it because from the beginning, um, the child, um, the, the experts in interna- and international child rescue tell you the one thing you don't have to r- the right to do is you don't have the right to take away a parent's hope. Mm-hmm. And all the McCann's have had all this time, all these years is their hope. 
the hope that maybe their daughter would come home alive, the hope that if she didn't, um, that the worst wouldn't have happened to her. Um, and I know, having read Kate McCann's book, what the worst she imagined is, and it is what I now fear has happened to Madeline. Um, and I fear it is where the evidence that is building around the case is perhaps leading. Um, I would say, I think, I believe firmly she was abducted. I don't think she wandered away. Um, I do not know if she was abducted by a, a single predator. I do not know if she was abducted opportunistically. And I do not know if she was perhaps abducted as part of a a planned an, a snatch, you know, sort of taken to order. I think those are all possibilities. Um, and so we this, just don't. This, this German man had a very dark history and was, as we know, in the area at the time, whether or not he was responsible or not. You say there was a surprisingly large number of people. With, with, can, we, with, can we name him? I mean, he's been named in the papers. Is it fair enough? Uh, uh, well, I would be very careful in naming him. You can refer to him as Christian B. You're not allowed yeah. under German law to call him, to mention his last name. So if you have an international audience, I think I would steer clear right. um, of, of, of using his last name. Um, and, and some news organizations still don't use his last name. So, And, and um, what is the evidence that's building against possibly Christian B.? There are a number of things. Um, the German police have said from the very beginning, and they have not shifted from this posture in the three years his name has been known, that they believe he, um, they believe that Madeline is dead. They believe he is responsible for her death. And that they believe that he is responsible for her disappearance. They have not shifted from those things. Um, they have spoken of having having concrete is the word the German the very the speaker of very good English German prosecutor has used. Now he also has said he has no forensic evidence against the suspect. So we know he has some witness testimony implicating him in other crimes. We know he's about to be prosecuted in connection with those other crimes. Um crimes, including crimes against children. We know there is evidence of his sexual assaults of children, filmed evidence. Uh, we know there's filmed evidence of his sexual assaults of women and teenage girls. And we know that there is um, textual evidence of his desire to, um, to commit a you know, the rape of a very tiny child um, because he exchanged chats in a chat room about doing just that um, and filming it and sharing it. Um, so we know what kind of a, a person he is. Um, and we know he has been convicted of the violent rape of a 72-year-old woman. And we know he is he has been charged and is about to go to trial for the violent rape of a young Irish woman um and and i think if the prosecutor is to be believed and i think he's he's proving to be quite credible they are slowly building a case against him 
around Madeline's disappearance. They don't feel they're 100% there yet, um, but hopefully they will get to that point. And is there a statute of limitations and other problems about the jurisdiction? Uh, I'm going to be a bit unclear about that. Um, There is a 15-year statute of limitations on some of it um, uh, to do with the rape cases. And I know that they got in under the wire on on those. Um, The young young rape victim was raped in 2004, and um, he was charged in in time to, to not um exceed and uh, i not sure i cannot remember right now in relation to madeline if the stat if the statute if the limited session is running excuse me you're gonna have to bear with my babbling and the as to the um jurisdictional question there was a jurisdictional question raised early in the year um because of um his residency at the time uh, in, you know, where he was in Germany at the time and the, the, the charges were being made and the charges were being filed and the acts were committed. But to my knowledge, that has all been sorted out. Um, it, it never meant the case was going to go away. It might have meant that it would have been taken from Braunschweig, which is where it's currently proceeding and moved to the jur- another jurisdiction, jurisdiction in Germany. But it didn't mean the case was going to on, on the verge of collapse. But as far as I know, um, on appeal, the Braunschweig team has, has won that and they are proceeding. And are they proceeding Sorry. Sorry. Are they working with Scotland Yard and the Portuguese police or is this completely separate? No, they are all cooperating. And in fact, the Portuguese um, in 2021, I believe, um, either either in 2021 or in 2020, made Christian B, formally made him a suspect themselves, uh, made him an Arguida themselves. Um, and that, you know, uh, w- was important because it meant that the German, the weight of the evidence the Germans were coming up with was sufficient that they were getting their international colleagues on board with them to continue this. But of course, the detective, the original detective, Amaral, um, who wrote a book, um, which I think the McCann family found very offensive. I think it's I think bad. Took, took some legal action against. Does he still figure in this? Is he still talking? Does he still make allegations or has he faded away? He never stops talking. He has, in fact, written yet. Uh, it's either, I believe he's written a third book on the case centering around this this german suspect and essentially saying no no it's not true he's been he's just being stitched up um uh to um by the germans and 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 it's all not true and 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 and, he, and repeating his claims against the mccanns gosh because when the scotland yard did their review in 2011 i think they brought up 200 investigative leads i mean this is is this because there were so many pedophiles there or just because of the just the range of of um uh, the, the, the investigations that were done was across such a wide range of of subjects that it just brought up lots of people as they scooped them up um i'm not sure about 200 and i'm only being pedantic because i know that someone else will point it out to you i think what we found the figure when I uh, I'm, I had access to um, the the scoping report um, that was done by the British after after um, after this case ended in two thousand and nine, um, and and when they were considering whether or not there was an opportunity 
to reopen the case or at least review the case formally. Um, and and um, from my looks at that, and from later then, I, I then went on, um, having seen that, to interview um, the man who was integral to, to doing that investigation, Jim Gamble, in, in his office in Belfast, who's a former senior counterterrorism policeman um, who became the head of the Child Exploitation and Online Protection Service, a really, really dedicated um, policeman. Um, and, and he had come up with a couple of things that he pointed out to the British. He, he thought it made it essential that they do the reinvestigation. A, that he was not at all convinced that the pedophile leads that they had passed um, from the UK onto their Portuguese colleagues, which included something like 59, I think it's the numbers in my head, packets on individual pedophiles in the Algarve who were either British or known to British authorities. He was not satisfied that those had all been carefully looked at, nor was he satisfied that the analysis of the telephone data had been done. Now, Vodafone and Telefonica and the other um, mobile phone companies that were operating in the Algarve in that period of time had given to the Portuguese um, um, some, se- it's, it's almost 75,000 uh, phone, bits of phone data, phone exchanges, and numbers and times of call and text or whatever um, for the for the two or three day period around the time of Madeline's disappearance. And Gamble was not at all convinced that it had been analyzed properly. What do we find? Lo and behold, Operation Grange swings into action. They're supposed to be going over all that. They allegedly go back to, quote, what they call square one. But it takes until 2017 for the Germans to come up with the fact that their suspect, Christian B., had been using his mobile phone in Praia de Luge, within about uh, 3,000 feet of the Ocean Club for half an hour on the night Madeline disappeared. That took until 2017 to tease out of that data. So, um, yeah, I mean, mistakes all along, investigative leads not fully followed, um, and also just an overwhelming amount of, of evidence. Um, Sorry, did the private investigators add much? I mean, you know, the McCanns, I think, employed some for, uh, for a moment. I mean, because th- there was a sense that the officials were not doing a good enough job, and that was perception. But did they really add anything to the story, or were they just a, a further complication? Uh, the, 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 I think the, the private detectives were a mixed bag. Um, the first lot, Matodo 3, uh, made big promises that they were going to have Madeline home by Christmas, et cetera, which they couldn't, which they couldn't keep, obviously. In the aftermath, um, looking at some of the things they did now in retrospect, um, I wonder how close they might have been getting to some things. They instigated a search of the Bravura Dam, that dam that was searched last summer, was searched for the first time by um, because of Matoto, some leads Matoto 3 developed. Now, there, it was all stitched around with some pretty weird shenanigans uh, that are too complicated to explain to your listeners, but they can read about in my book. Um, we, we will highlight that. Um, but I think, but, but the, the, one of their lead investigators, when I, and I, who I spoke to earlier this year again, 
said that, you know, she went there and she had them do that because she was hearing things about odd activity around that dam and strange and strange people hanging around it. These van lifers, these people who who live in their caravans that the German suspect seems to have been part of that scene. So there's that. Um, and, and there are other little things that they seem to have been doing that that might have gone somewhere. But that ended badly. Um, and 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 then the McCanns made a fatal mistake. Um, they, f- for reasons that are, are I'm not quite clear on even now, they they hired a guy called Kevin Halligan, who ran what he described as a big uh, international um, security and risk management company with offices in Washington and London. And he was a con man. And he conned the McCann's fund out of a substantial amount of money. He also, though, had working for him several very senior, proper investigators, including a former uh, winner of the Queen's Policing Medal, uh, a man who'd worked for MI5. And there were suggestions, and there have been suggestions, that um, they did a lot of work on the ground in Pride to Lose. And amongst the leads they developed could perhaps have been a lead that would have been relevant to today's investigation. Unfortunately, we don't know. Because because Halogen was a con man, all the real investigative work, all their real work product went nowhere. Um, we're not even that can't be accessed. I mean, they can't share it with with the authorities. Well, um, Halogen was arrested, went to jail, and is now dead. Um, he was locked out of his offices. The any work product was in the safe. I am told, um, and they never had access again to the safe. The the men involved were all burned very badly. Never paid. It is my hope, but I cannot prove it, that all of their work product was her- turned over to the McCann family at the end. But because of the way it ended, I can't be certain of that. I would like to think that it ended up in the hands of Operation Grange. And in a proper world, it should have done. Um, but because the focus of that all became the fact that Halogen was defrauding people, and it wasn't just the McCanns he was defrauding, he was defrauding a lot of other people. Um the the work he was doing on the McCann case kind of went by the wayside. Um and and so and then their final investigating uh group um uh, with whom I think they had good relations um worked on didn't really advance the case very far um at all um but they were there at the end and did hand over what they'd learned to the Met and and behaved as far as I can tell they behaved responsibly they just didn't really get very far. But the McCanns no. felt they had no choice. No, nobody so, was looking for Madeline's. Yeah, I mean, what are the what's um, the sort of time frame now in terms of the German investigations and possible developments, or is it very? We just don't know. It's very open ended. I wouldn't say it's open ended. I would say that um, it, it it could stretch, but I would I I would think that they're going to be pressure starting to come on them if they don't do something by this time next year 
Uh, but I would think it, I, I would think or I would hope that it would happen before then. But I, I, I think that uh, the, you know, the German prosecutor um, won't be able to tease the world forever that he's, for this evidence, and, that he's got this evidence and um, have it not, you know, have it not go forward. Right. And I don't think he's doing it to the world. I think he's I don't get the impression that he's he's using this the McCann case to get at Christian B for other things. I don't think that right. I think he's legitimately right. doing him in connection with the matter on McCann case. And this program that you're doing is, is that got a, a date for transmission or, or is that again, it will depend on what's uncovered. Um, it, it's, it's sort of an open-ended thing and it depends on what's uncovered. And, and I can really, I can't really tell you any more about it. I'm not allowed to speak about it too much, except to say I'm participating in something. Yeah. Great. And I mean, do you think that the, the tourism was an element that the Portuguese authorities clearly isn't good for tourists, that that affected the way they, they, uh, dealt with this or was that irrelevant really? No, it's not irrelevant. I mean, it's, it's more relevant in the it's more relevant to the before than it is to the after i think um you know we now know that there were regular burglaries to that apartment complex we know that there was someone was going around getting into the beds of young expat children in that time period and sometimes molesting them sometimes being scared off um these things were not known when the McCanns settled into their apartment on the uh, in the first week of May. Um, not only that, it's not just the holiday company. It's not the Portuguese alone who bear responsibility for that. The holiday companies, late major British corporations, <laughs> um, uh, Mark Warner Holidays, all of those companies, um, the British Foreign Office. I don't know about you, but I'm an I'm an American citizen sitting in rural Ireland, um, and we had a, a, a very serious uh, incidents of violence in Dublin last week involving rioting. The next morning, I had an advisory telling me I should take care, I should avoid this, I should not do that, um, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I've had similar warnings in connection to the ongoing conflict in in Gaza. Um, now, why were not the why was not the British Foreign Office responsible when they knew that it was taking place to warn British holidaymakers that children were being assaulted and no, that sure. burglaries were taking place? You know, no, the Foreign sure. Office no comment. Um, that's not acceptable to me. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the, there is there are. There are fingers of blame to be pointed, but we have to, you know, it isn't just the Portuguese who are responsible. We, you know, we all bear a level of responsibility. And of course, uh, you know, obviously the McCanns do bear a level of responsibility. They made a choice that they thought was a reasonable one about their well, children's safety. And, and so did the other people in the party. I mean, I think, and I've seen you being interviewed, and I think Phil and I's parents would say that, you know, at that time, that's the sort of thing you did. Um you know, we didn't sort of, you know, we thought we it would be okay. I mean, it's it's just presumably it's changed the way parents behave. I think as a result of this, it must have. I I think it, I think it has. I don't. I know no. I think no parent would ever do that today. Mm. You know, I I, I know the that Alga, if, the Algarve if, was the reputation amongst the British middle class at that time of the Algarve was the way people went to play safe. golf. It was safe. Yeah. It was quiet. It was 
it was not very exciting. There were no nightclubs. It was a classic family holiday mm-hmm. resort. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and has it led to more world. convictions? I mean, as, as a result of these investigations and perhaps more scrutiny, has that changed, for example, the fact that paedophiles don't go there now um, and that uh, quite a lot of people have been picked up in the sweeping operation? That I cannot answer. Um, I've, I've been in Praia de Luz recently. It remains a lovely place, you know, um, and the people who go to Portugal um, – would still tell you that by and large it is a safe place a beautiful place a welcoming place i don't think you know it's easy to when something terrible happens it's easy to you know get a bit hysterical and overstate the dangers involved but i think you know this is a case of you know a lit an ounce of prevention being worth the pound of the cure if there had been some alerts to the fact that you know keep your wits about you just as we tell people, keep your wits about you in Rome. You know, there are pickpockets everywhere. Well, keep your wits about you as a, as a holidaymaker, as a tourist. You know, it, just because it looks different from home, it isn't really different from home. You wouldn't leave your child sitting alone here or alone at home while you went down to the shops. Don't do it here either. Um, yeah. and, and people do forget. They're lulled into that sense of holiday, you know, security. Indeed. Gosh. Gosh, no, this is wonderful. I mean, fascinating stuff. And, and it's good to have some sort of sense because it, there has been an extraordinary amount of, uh, wild speculation and fantasy really around this, which is. Yeah, I wanted to, it's a funny mixture, isn't it? People like, people are drawn to the macabre. People, that's why people write and buy books on subjects like this. But of course, there's a sort of lynch mob mentality is a desire to find somebody to blame and to gang up on. And I, I can only feel terribly sorry for the family. I'm sure they feel worse about themselves than anything that anybody on here could ever say about them. Yes, I, I, I agree. I, you know, it, it's an interesting phenomenon, really. Because of the kind of books we do, I tend to 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 follow those the, the developments in the world of conspiracy theory and conspiracy thinking. And really, the McCann case is sort of ground zero for a certain kind of online trolling and online attack culture. It, it, looking back to 9-11, we had that um, that whole alternative world, what we called America, America 2. We had America 1 and America 2 and what they believed had happened in their country. Um, and it was the sort of pre-internet age and the, the post-internet age. But then you had the McCann case and the attacks um, by, a, by a sort of online lynch mob, as you say. And then you move on to the likes of Sandy Hook, for instance, which is, if your listeners know, a terrible crime um, in which um, a, a young mentally disturbed young man murdered a whole number of tiny five and six year old children and they're two of their teachers. In, in a small Connecticut town. And afterwards, um, the, the sort of online community was led in vilifying and attacking those parents and creating a whole culture of, 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 um, tr- of alternate truth about what had happened. Um, well, there's been a case on it, hasn't there? I mean, the man uh, was sued. 
and and the man who's been um, who who was a 9/11 conspiracy theorist who I ran into in that capacity um, was a Kennedy conspiracy theorist and I knew in that capacity maybe became a Sandy Hook conspiracy theorist led that attack mob Alex Jones and he's been convicted of you know basically um, you know of 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 libel and you know for for the extraordinary he said things he said about the victims of a crime. And and so, yeah, I mean, it's where do we draw the line between, you know, wanting to read or understand a case that has an, a genuine public interest and the fantasy world in which become, we become so much a part of that story, so much a part of that investigation that we kind of cross the line between who's an investigator, who's a reporter, who's a bystander, who's a victim. What does what is the role of the government? You know, all of that it, it gets blurred, and and that's not necessarily a good a good thing. Well, that's you're absolutely important. right. I think that a lot of this did start with the McCanns. I mean, it was all the way back to Charles Lindbergh and other cases. People had written letters and poison pens, and people were always capable of these things. But it became super accelerated by the fact that you could find other people who shared your mad ideas. That's why it's so important to have the sort of books that you and Tony write, you know, and I hope we may have a chance to talk to you about some of the other ones because you've got some wonderful subjects and, and a bit like Gerald Posner, who's, who's, who's spoken to us. I mean, you come to it with this forensic and, and sadly now, uh, you know, the investigative skills of journalists are not as good as they used to be, but you, you are there still doing it. Um, we terrifically respect, you know, what you've been doing. Thank you. No. Well, it's because we're so it's because we're so old. <laughs> I hope you're wrong, but I fear you might be right. Yeah, yeah, fake news has taken over. But that's maybe we're we're holding out here with the podcast for you know to to to, to deal with these controversial subjects, but to cut through and to see what the truth the likely truth is. Um well if you, you if you if you get both Gerald I know Gerald very well. Um uh if you if you have Gerald and and us, you've got basically all your main conspiracies covered. We have, I know. It would be interesting to have almost the two of you on the same program because Let's you've covered it. some of the same subjects, like nine eleven, but with a better quality camera connection. <laughs> it's not going to happen while I'm sitting here. Not in Waterford. Yes, we'll have to oh, fly. Well, you it's across. a nice place to sit. Thank you so much, for, Robin, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. We really really appreciate you giving up this time. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.